0: The 12th of December is known as International Universal Health Coverage Day. That is a big topic. And I am uh, delighted to have somebody who is a local community advocate, community engagement specialist, and a community organizer to talk to us a little bit about the notion of what is international universal health coverage. So before I do a quick introduction, I would like to welcome Judith Oviosen to Humans on Rights. Welcome, Judith.
1: Thank you, Stout. My name is um, Judith Oviosen. I'm really excited to have this conversation and thank you for inviting me.
0: Okay, Judith. Thank you so much. So just by way of introduction, I can see why at the top of your resume, Judith, you talk about advocate, community engagement specialist and community organizer, because you have spent time as the University of Manitoba Nigerian Students Association, the president. You've been the University of Manitoba Students Union. You've been involved in women's community representative in that regard. You're a healthcare aid supervisor, a healthcare for all coalition. You're a community organizer for that. The Canadian Federation of Students Advocacy Campaign Coordinator, and currently Occupational Health center as a health educator. You also have a degree from the University of Manitoba and it is a Bachelor of Science in Nutritional Science. And I noted on your resume that you were on the Dean's Honor Roll. So that's pretty spectacular. So there's more to your resume, but that's some of the highlights. Let's just get a sense about your background, who you are, where where did you go to school? What, What got you interested in becoming an advocate and where did you sort of learn all of that skill that takes you to where you are today, Judith.
1: So, um, I grew up in a very small town in Nigeria. It's um, called Katsina. It's a very small place, a small city. And, um, I moved to Canada in 2015 to study at the university of Manitoba, where I had a BSc in human nutritional sciences. I was an international student when I came to Canada and, um, I was very involved with my organization, the Nigerian Student Association, because coming here as an immigrant, that was where I could find like minded individuals like myself who were experiencing the same issues. When I was there, the community was not very strong. We only had a few people and I just wanted to build something that, um, you know, a really good hub because it helped me I and mean, we were able to talk about some of the issues we had together. so. I ran to be the president um, because I wanted to reform the organization, which was successful. We do have a very strong community right now on campus at the University of Manitoba with um, over 150 Nigerian students who are actively involved in the community hub that I created. As a president there, I did see a lot of issues that were affecting people, not just within my community, but other women as well on campus. And I knew that to create change, just talking about it was not enough because I wasn't able to get much done just by voicing my frustration with the system, with the things that were going on on campus. So in order to create positive change, I felt like I had to be at the decision-making table, which is something that I found in common with a lot of um, immigrant advocates in Manitoba, as well as across Turtle Island, Canada. So I ran to be the women's representative and I did that for a year and I was able to sit on multiple boards. And the one I'm proud of is the Equity, Diversity and Inclusion Board. Being there, I I saw like, you know, decisions being made and being able to impact those decisions and like have a voice and make sure that they're being reflective of the community I'm representing was very powerful. And that was my first introduction to like the politics of not just the student movement, but also the government and the provincial and the federal government and knowing that, you know, there are people at the table. And if you're not there to say your piece, a lot of times that would not be included in policy or decision making processes. So, you know, being able to be part of that board gave me a lot of experience and a lot of like passion and more love for my community. And I wanted to do more. And so yeah I graduated and started working with the Canadian Federation of Students to continue that work.
0: So Judith, I mean advocacy leadership is really a part of what you are very passionate about. Can we just sort of go back a bit so you were raised in a small community in Nigeria. What brought you or what was your connection to come to Canada and or Manitoba and then Winnipeg?
1: I had applied to other universities at that time. I wanted to study abroad because I wanted to study medicine or nursing, but I wanted a place where I could do a lot of practical or, or have access to like world-class technology, laboratories. And um, at that time, Canada was very popular in Nigeria and they were welcoming a lot of international students. Manitoba was for me by chance. I did not know anywhere in Canada when I applied. Um, when I was looking for admission, University of Winnipeg was the only one offering rolling admission at that time. That was why I looked towards Manitoba and then eventually University of Manitoba. But I didn't have any specific reason why I came to Manitoba. But I really have enjoyed my time here, and I, I and I love it, although it's very cold.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, how many years have you been in Manitoba, Judith?
1: I would say over six years now, 2015 to 2022. Yeah, over you know, six years.
0: And you decided that you were going to spend a bit of time at the University of Manitoba. That's where you got your Bachelor of Science uh, and made the Dean's Honor List. I have to say that again because that's impressive. But is that where you were looking at maybe getting into medicine or your nursing? Is that why you maybe chose that path?
1: Yes, that was why I went there because um, at the University of Winnipeg, they didn't have like those programs. So I thought it was easier for me to go to University of Manitoba that way I could. But um, being at the University of Manitoba and quickly realizing, you know, tuition was going up and um, it was just getting more and more like, I couldn't afford to study nursing because of the high cost of tuition or even medicine because as an international student, that's not a direct path until you become a permanent resident. So, yeah, that was the dream that brought me here. But very quickly, you can see uh, it's kind of shifted to more like community organizing and advocacy, which I've enjoyed.
0: You have been out in the community doing a lot of things, advocating things, Judith. And and you know, that's really, I think, as you said so well at the beginning, you have to be at the table. Your voice has to be heard if you're trying to impact or affect change. So, Judith, can I just ask you a little bit then? Let's talk a little bit about this notion of universal health coverage. I don't really want to get into all the politics of it, although there's a lot of politics involved, and I get that. But share with me and those that listening. Your experience as an international student around universal health coverage.
1: For me, I would just say I believe that healthcare is a human right, and um, we should all be able to access it regardless of our immigration status. And that's what um, a lot of the organizations I work with they strongly believe in that. As an international student, when I came to Manitoba, I was able to enjoy like the privilege of having like healthcare coverage extended to international students at the time. So contrary to opinions that have been out there, that international students are you leeching on to the healthcare system. I was not, I wasn't using it too much. Like I, I knew I had it. It was just such a relief to know that it does ever go wrong. I, have this opportunity to see a doctor without having any issues. And so, you know, for a while, no one really had any issues. Everyone was able to access healthcare. I was able to see the doctor, and it was very smooth and easy. It was in, I believe, 2018, and that we got the news that um, healthcare coverage would no longer be extended to international students. It was a really stressful, devastating month, I guess, for a lot of international students in Manitoba because we were we didn't know what to do. Like if healthcare was taken away. Um, before coming here, I don't think I really knew what it cost to even visit a doctor. So at that time when healthcare was taken away, you have to like factor in all those extra expenses and it, it was not possible for any international student to be able to afford that on their own. So of course, student unions rallied around and university administration to find private health coverage, which um, was kind of like a, a solution, I guess, to that um, announcement that was made by the government. And like you said, it's it's hard not to get political because um, the healthcare system in <laughs> Canada, in Manitoba is very, very much political. So it's just happened that we were were able to get the private funding. And a lot of the cracks weren't really seen immediately because, of course, it was new. We had private health care coverage and everyone was relieved. Like it was a sign of relief. Okay, well, this has been done. We have private health coverage. At least we don't have to out of pocket, but very quickly we started seeing like some of the issues slowly. I know one of them was, um, having to get a family doctor and a lot of the clinics, some of the clinics would be like, I can't direct bill blue, blue cross. So you have to pay out of pocket." And it's yeah, very devastating because like I, people don't have $120 to pay a doctor first and then get reimbursed later because that would take weeks. And that's money out of your pocket that could have gone for food or for something else. So it was um, a very minor inconvenience that we noticed like very quickly, but it went on for years. Like students were struggling because now you have to think, oh, if I go to the doctor, I might have to pay out of pocket first. But there are some clinics who don't ask you to pay out of pocket first, but it depends also like um, getting a family doctor, as you know, in Canada, is very um, it's a very long process. And sometimes you might get doctors that can direct bill blue cross. And sometimes you might not get doctors who can do that. So would you like rather be on the wait list again for another year waiting for a doctor who, so yeah, there was a lot of um, struggles with that. But during the pandemic, we did see, a very huge crack to show us that, you know, private healthcare insurance is not really working as we all expected it or as we all hoped to work for it to work. So there was a lot of um, issues that went on and um, that's where you get to go into the politics of healthcare. But
0: no, thanks for the explanation. Can I just, maybe look at your personal experience. So as you say, you've come from Nigeria, you're come to Canada, Winnipeg, and you're studying, you're at the university, you're an international student. If you needed to go to see a doctor, assuming that you, you know, that again, there's sometimes a shortage of doctors, but assuming that you were able to see a doctor at that time, you were able to go and see a doctor. You would show your health card or your student card, and you would be seen by a doctor and you would get looked after, get treated, and then, you know, you go back to to your regular life. Is that am I am I accurate with that?
1: Yes. Like um it was just how any other person in Manitoba was accessing healthcare, which was Great. Like you go, you see a dog have the Manitoba health card, which was really good. You just, they accept that. Every hospital accepts that. So you never have any issue of like, oh, no, you're an international student. I can't attend to you. So it makes it easier and quicker for you to even get access to health care, which was amazing.
0: And then the change, Judith, that you talked about was that when international students were no longer given a health card, you then had to seek private health insurance
1: yeah this was like an effort with student unions and um, university administrations they had to find like private health care coverage because it's um, yeah it, like i said it's impossible to stay here without any form of coverage because healthcare can be very expensive
0: for sure and so was that done from an organization standpoint judith that then you know you went to blue cross or you went to a, a healthcare provider in that regard? Was it done on behalf of the university international students, or were you on your own? or what was the process that allowed that to unfold?
1: Yeah, it was a negotiation, I believe that was done like by student leaders at that time and um, with the help of the administration to find something. So I'm not sure who went to who.
0: <laughs> yeah, fair enough. yeah. no, thank you for that. I'm just obviously trying to get a sense of it from your personal experience. So now, what situation do you have? You've been in this country for, in the province, in the city for, as you say, up to six years. What do you have now for health coverage, if you don't mind me asking?
1: Last year, I became a permanent resident um, of Canada. So I do have the Manitoba health card, which, yeah. So, yeah. But before then, I was um, on the private health care plan.
0: And one of the things that, you know, when you look at the fact that the federal government of Canada has for years, uh, through transfer payments, been a big funder of provincial health care and provincial healthcare care ministers oversee those budgets. And when the federal government starts to cut the transfer payments, and this is where you say it's hard not to get into politics, but, you know, the provincial government then is responsible for administering the health care that they can to their citizens. And I wanted to just come back to the title kind of of our, of our podcast, which we wanted to talk about, which is universal healthcare coverage. And I wanted to just get a sense from your perspective, Judith, when you hear universal healthcare coverage, do you automatically think about it being free or do you think that universal healthcare coverage should be accessible? In other words, you may have to have a fee to pay, but you can get access to it versus some countries in the in the world where I mean it's just not accessible at all, forget about having a cost to it.
1: When I hear universal health care coverage, for me, I feel like accessibility is um, number one. You should be able to have access to care. But when we're talking about accessing care, you have to also factor in that if care is expensive and you have a fee, that's a barrier on its own. So for me, it has to be free and accessible because if you have to go to the clinic and they're telling you you have to pay a certain amount before you get access to healthcare. care, it's no longer like rights. I'm um, looking at it from a human rights perspective, the lens I do all my work in. It's like it has to be free and accessible for everyone, regardless of your, you know, status in the community, so that you know that way people can access the care that they need whenever they need it.
0: Mm-hmm. And one of the things, Judith, I think that is always part of the, I'll just say the healthcare debate. Is you know the notion about healthcare being free? I mean, you know, I just went to get my physical checkup a week ago. I made an appointment. I walked in. I saw my doctor. Got my annual checkup. Uh, we shook hands. We had a little conversation, and I left. In other words, there was no payment. There was nothing. So, you know, the notion of that exercise is that when there's no payment, it's free. But when you step back and you realize that, and again, this kind of comes to the political side of things, that governments, they're the ones that have to through, you know, collecting taxes from people that work, collecting taxes from various areas that go into the provincial treasury and then they decide how they're going to fund health care, is that the notion that the visit may be free, but the cost of running healthcare is extraordinary. I mean, it's such a such a big number. And I wonder sometimes if we do disservice, if I could say it this way, Judith, to the debate when we talk about free healthcare.
1: I really do understand. Like, yes, healthcare is free for the people accessing it, but yes, the government has to pay. And I'm um, I'm really glad you brought that up because this is one of the myths that we've been trying to Talk about with people in the media and community that whenever we have free and accessible healthcare, we're asking that international students have free healthcare without contributing anything to the Canadian economy. But that's not true because. International students have been a very good part of our economy in Manitoba. And in fact, the federal government alone is even recognizing their efforts and their hard work now because they're increasing their work hours from 20 hours a week to now 40 hours a week. So they know that these people are contributing to the economy and that's why they're using them. But the thing they're failing to understand is that it's not enough to just move the work hours from 20 to 40. Like now they have to work more and go to school. They have health challenges that take care of. So extending healthcare coverage would be very important to maintain like, you know, a healthy mind, body and soul to be able to task that the government has like, you know, it's expecting of them now with working 40 hours to cover the labor shortages all across Canada. And, also, like everyone's paying taxes in Canada. all immigrants pay taxes like taxes is not something you can even escape. so when we talk about the expense of you know other people having um health care and some others don't like we're all paying taxes, and everyone migrated at some point, and we're all going to be able to pay our own dues to the tax system so It's very frustrating where I hear people in the community say, well, oh, we pay taxes. And why should we be giving, extending healthcare to these people? Because, yeah, they're also paying taxes. They're paying taxes to their tuition. They're paying taxes by working part time. And now they're expected to cover labor shortages. So, yeah, it is expensive. But if we're also contributing to the system and to the economy, I think at this point, the only thing that would be the government can really do to make life a little bit easier because tuition is already expensive is to extend health care coverage.
0: A couple of things there I'd just like to sort of come back to explain, if you will, the notion that that the federal government has moved. you mentioned it from 20 hours to 40 hours. So can you explain what what does that mean? What impact does that have with respect to international students?
1: Yeah, so uh, as an international student, when I came, you go to school full time and the government allow you 20 to work. Nationals can work 20 hours a week and this can help you with your accommodation feeding and just well as like minor expenses that you would need so that your parents or sponsors can focus on paying the tuition, which was really helpful. A lot of international students benefited from that, you know, and so students were paying taxes through that as well. But no, with the labor shortages all across Canada, the federal government has agreed to increase that work limit. It was twenty hours before, but now they can work up to forty hours a week.
0: Was that something that was fairly monitored? I wasn't aware of that, so I appreciate you sort of clarifying that. But was, did somebody monitor the fact you could only work twenty hours?
1: Yes, I mean it was monitored to the extent it was monitored. I am not. I do not have but seeing uh, international students who have gotten into trouble working more than they're supposed to so yeah it it, it probably would affect you later on it depends on you know news there was a time where um, an international student Ontario that was driving a truck got caught for working more than 20 hours a week and so that affected his stay in Canada and there was a whole news about him possibly getting deported so yeah there are cases like that where students get caught working more than 20 hours, but the monitoring aspect, I'm not sure how the federal government keeps track of that.
0: I was just curious to see, I mean, you know, to your point, the, the, the notion that they've allowed international students to increase the number of hours from 20 to 40, you know, hopefully it doesn't impact their studies, but I can, you know, you know full well, there's such a shortage of labor in certain markets for certain areas. It's incredible. Some restaurants are struggling because they don't have enough people to work there. So it, hopefully that's a good opportunity for international students, as I said, as long as it doesn't impact the reason they're here, which is for their studies. And the other thing I should think it's worth uh, pointing out, Judith, is that international students, when they come to attend a university, I'd have to say in Canada, but we'll talk about Manitoba, their tuition fee is is extremely higher than what it is for a local resident here to attend at the university. So you're paying a premium to come into the university, which I understand from the university's perspective, it helps in terms of their budgeting, but that's another additional cost that international students have to bear.
1: It is uh, another burden for international students. And um, I know like when healthcare was taken away, let's go back to that, the university understood the situation it put a lot of international in because as a student you have to make your budget your parents or whoever sponsoring you you have to have a budget and because that announcement was so sudden the university had to even arrange for health care relief fund to help international students cover for I think part of the healthcare coverage that they had to pay and yeah you have to apply for it and It was not, um, and then if you you get the relief fund, but just to just show you how much expensive it is to come here and budgeting and everything. And then having like suddenly healthcare taken away and that is getting added to the cost of tuition as well. Tuition also in Manitoba is going up every day, every year. Like, so... With that and the cost of healthcare is going up as well. I know when it was taken away, we were paying about six hundred dollars, but um the last time I checked, it's about a thousand dollars now. So everything is going up and I know it's inflation and everything. Yeah, it's getting really expensive international student,
0: Yeah, no, I mean we could probably have a whole other podcast talking about inflation and, and being a student and you know the costs of what that means and how you how you sort of navigate that. As a somebody who spent time and you're, you're very passionate about having a voice at the table, you're passionate about being an advocate, you're passionate about being a community organizer, if somebody were to say to you, you got a call, say, from the Minister of Health or the Premier to say, Judith, what advice might you give government to make sure that we have proper universal health care for all, knowing that there is the politics and the budget involved. Would you would you be able to sort of provide your thoughts on that?
1: I feel that's a very tricky question. I do not have the intel in terms of like being in the government to fully answer that. It has to do with budgets. I know the government can provide that if they want to. It just has to do with like, you know, priorities and Time and time again, I've seen the community. I think it's time for us to understand that healthcare should be a priority because you don't have a healthy population, you don't have your economy is not going to flourish. And the earlier we realize that, the better. And so, I would say, like um, as a government, the first thing is to prioritize healthcare. And make sure that we do have something that not just international students, but even like our those who have access to Manitoba healthcare are struggling. So it makes us wonder if you know healthcare is being prioritized. If I do get a call like that, I would be like, we need to prioritize healthcare. In terms of what that looks like, it might have to do with, you know, it has to definitely go back to the federal government, obviously, because they have to also be able to release more funds for provinces but I can't really fully answer that without knowing the budget that the Manitoba government is working But yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I and again, I just appreciate your answer. So thank you very much. And it was just really wanting to see, you know, from your perspective, you know, there's so many people that have advice around healthcare. And one of the things, Judith, I think that, you know, frustrates the conversation, if I could use that term, is that a lot of people talk about how much money we're putting into healthcare now and how much more money we've put in from this last budget into healthcare. And the numbers are big. The numbers are massive. So there's an analysis on how much money we put in, but there never seems to be an analysis on patient outcome. How are our patient outcomes doing? You know, sort of measure, what does that look like? And it is a very complex subject matter. But I know that Canadians, sometimes if you take their temperature on the surface, they're very proud of our healthcare system on the surface and you hear time and time again that it's hard to get in if you need care but once you get inside the system you get amazing care from the people that work in the system and that is one of those areas that i think we hear time and time again and you just wonder when you look at somebody from your perspective you know you've been in this country now for 6 years you you have a degree you're very active you've got a voice you've got a sense of leadership that we can't just keep going on with the status quo with healthcare because it's not about more money, I don't think. I just wonder if you could respond to those thoughts that I just shared.
1: Yeah, I do not have as much expertise in that aspect to answer that question fully right now. I do believe um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of like the healthcare system in Manitoba. There've been a lot of things I've seen in terms of that Of course, I don't agree with in terms of what should be done right now. I'm not sure how they're prioritizing healthcare because um, just throwing more money at it is not going to do anything for us. And for me, it's more like where the money is being placed. I guess um, I've been seeing a rise in like agencies, like privatization of a lot of healthcare work and. Of course, it's helping to reduce the backlog and create more accessibility. But it's a tough question to answer just right now on the call. But um, yeah, th- there's a lot of work that needs to be done. But my advice is that um, the government should send to community organizations, grassroots community organizations, ones doing the work, there on the ground, the nurses um, union, They're the ones that are working with patients on a daily basis. They have in-depth knowledge about the crisis and ways that that could be, like you know, mitigated. So I feel like more conversation needs to be had at the grassroots level for the government to be able to move forward.
0: I think that's a great suggestion, Judith. And the other piece, of course, that with all of the challenges of healthcare, then along comes COVID. You know, which has just been a tremendous burden on the frontline workers and you know we we've uh, about that publicly that we have to support our frontline workers who did an amazing job i'm not sure we we did a good job supporting them i mean a lot of conversation about it but i have to say that you know my made a choice i wanted to get you know my covid vaccine and so i would have to say that that process that was set up here in winnipeg my experience is they were amazing. They were friendly. They were professional. They had a lot of challenges at the beginning trying to sort of navigate the system because there's so many people trying to get into it. But I mean, I think that's just natural. And I think people here in, in Manitoba, you know, there's always going to be people that are not happy about something, Judith. But overall, and I would just speak on behalf of myself, I thought that the process worked extremely well.
1: Yeah, I mean the progress overall was amazing. I mean the nurses are amazing. The healthcare workers in Manitoba are awesome and they've been doing a great job. I mean, they were, they were thrown into they were thrown into this whole pandemic without very much resources. And at a time where there had been a lot of cuts to healthcare, like closing a lot of ER and we were working with only a few and they really rallied around and did an amazing job to you utilize the few resources they have but um, when we talk about the process of the pandemic I mean it was helpful but was it equitable and accessible to everyone that's where I my question comes back you know I mean immigrants had a hard time refugees international students had a hard time accessing COVID related health care for a while And they also had a hard time even accessing the vaccine and getting vaccine passport. But due to like, you know, grassroots advocacy from organizations and have worked with in the past, we were able to get some wins from the government. But I think like the government needs to do a lot more. I mean, in Ontario, healthcare was most immigrants were able to access a lot of care during the pandemic. And it wasn't so for Manitobans because um, we saw an international. mental health problem and it was during in the middle of the pandemic where you would think that that should be something that would be covered as a you know COVID related illness just being in the pandemic and a lot of Manitobans struggle like we all go through like the pandemic with some form of mental illness problem or the other so just having that person being charged over forty thousand dollars, almost almost forty thousand dollars in hospital bill, is another barrier that um, a lot of immigrants, international students, refugees had to face during the pandemic. And those are just the people that were brave enough to say their stories. Um, yeah.
0: So Judith, sorry, just I want to make sure that I'm understanding what you're saying is that there were international students or immigrants. In Manitoba, that had to pay. Did you say forty thousand dollars for a hospital stay?
1: Yes, the bill was uh, almost forty thousand. I think it was over thirty thousand. I would say, um, in terms of hospital bill, and they were experiencing some, you know, mental health challenges during the pandemic. And instead of being at home and getting worse, decided to go seek help. And um, after being in the hospital for nine days, they were charged, yeah, over thirty thousand in hospital bill. So.
0: Did they give that to them uh, as they were leaving the hospital or how did that work out? Or are you aware of that process?
1: It wasn't given to them as they left the hospital. I haven't heard them do that, but um, you'd get a mail, a letter at least to tell you this is how much you're owing. And um, yeah, so getting that letter is enough on its own. It's like very devastating to have to you know, relieve that experience of, you know, having that challenge and now putting yourself in that much debt. So, and that's not the only case. There were a lot of cases that came out of the pandemic. A lot of them, we could spend another hour talking about each and every case, but yeah.
0: And that's simply because they were immigrants and did not have a Manitoba health card.
1: Yes, they were uh, an international students and didn't have Manitoba health card, yeah.
0: And they didn't have the ability to have private care also at that point.
1: A lot of people were in between like courses or in between universities, so things happened um, that could have warranted them being like you know uninsured for like not being able to access the private healthcare care insurance because that is tied to their enrollment in the university, which is another layer of um, accessibility or yeah.
0: I just want to come back to your comment earlier when you talked about accessibility of healthcare and making sure that it's it's accessible to to everyone and when you look at it particularly as a human right.
1: Yes. And that just showed that it wasn't
0: so, yeah. yeah. I mean, Judith, one thing that you have done is, you know, through the various organizations that you've taken leadership role, whether it's the Nigerian community, bringing them together and creating that community, or whether it's been out advocating uh, I went on a campaign with the Canadian Federation of Students, you are uh, somebody who has a belief and you take your time and you add your voice to it along with others. And I think I'd make this comment that I um, I thought was an interesting uh, comment, that it it really goes to the, the power of advocacy or education. And somebody said that, you know, if you have pride with the current system, if whatever that system may be, we're talking healthcare, universal healthcare coverage, if you have pride in that system, you should never be afraid to challenge it to try to see if you can make it better. And I think that's what you're advocating.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, Yeah, the system could be better. It could be better for everyone, every one of us that are here. And that's what we want to see. That's the ultimate goal, to make sure that we all have the same access and we can access in healthcare whenever we want. So yeah, just trying to make it better all the time.
0: So Judith Oviason, you've been a great guest today, I, but I want to leave kind of the last word to you. Just what are you working on? I mean, you're a community organizer, you're an advocate. Are, is there anything you want to share that you're working on right now? Or maybe there's a couple of things that you're working on.
1: There's a couple of things I'm working on, but one that I'm really excited about is the Alliance of Gender Justice in Migration. It's um kind of a project that is funded by Women Equality Canada. And this um, project is looking at immigration and adding a feminist intersectional perspective to it to make sure that immigrant women are able to access um, services and immigration services, most especially whenever, because there's been a lot of issues in terms of like women trying to access those services in Canada. So yeah, I'm really excited to um, do that work. Um, It's a And Canadian Tax Force, we do have organizations all across in BC, Ontario, Quebec, and Manitoba, and we're working to make sure that we center the voices of women with lived experiences.
0: And that sounds fantastic. And I'll ask you if you would send me something on that. So, you know, when I put the podcast up, I'd like to make a reference to that. So if people are interested in finding out more about it, maybe specifically share what it is that are you working with this because it's you're trying to sort of change federal legislation or provincial legislation or both?
1: Doing this is more of a federal. Immigration is first and foremost federal before it's even provincial. We do have some provincial immigration policies like the Manitoba provincial nominee. So we, we still hope to influence that as well. But the focus is more of like a federal wide because we have of women that come here and experience like gender-based violence and but because they are tied to this spousal visa sponsorship they have a hard time and there's a process around but we're trying to evaluate how accessible that is for women and there's a lot of like people that we've seen that have tried to go through that process and have experienced a lot of issues so making the process as easy as possible is kind of the goal here
0: well that's great yeah no thanks for sharing I can only say that at some juncture, having just met you, that uh, I would look forward to having you on again on this podcast to talk about those issues. Because the whole purpose of of this podcast is really to talk about human rights, humans on rights, talk about advocate, talk about education. And that's really uh, sort of very strong and right in your wheelhouse, Judith. So thank you very much for spending some time with me this afternoon. And if there was one thing you wanted to to leave anybody that's listening to this podcast about, you know, universal healthcare coverage, what would that be?
1: We need a stem that works for all of us. So I do encourage everyone that's listening to join us in this, so that every man can access healthcare without fear of you know being deported or fear of being in initial hardship. So yeah, I'm looking forward. And also, aside from just this, it's also A very good time for us to also remember uh indigenous sisters with the recent news in manitoba i think that the work is can't be done alone like we have to stand with um indigenous women in manitoba and across canada in this fight as well so yeah
0: judith ovison thank you so much for being on this podcast i appreciate your time thank you thanks for listening to humans on rights a transcript of this episode is available by clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. Humans on Rights is recorded and hosted by Stuart Murray. Social media marketing by Buffy Davey. Music by Doug Edmond. For more, go to humanrightshub.ca. Produced and distributed by The Sound Off Media
1: Company. What happens when we play outside? I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance, and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at ivisonvoice.com slash podcast.